Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see you all here this morning. It looks like we are up before the wasps are. (laughs) We'll see how it holds out as we go along. For now, would you take your hymnals open to number 86, Jesus, name above all names. Number 86, if you're able and willing, stand together with me as we sing. We'll sing this through two times. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word. Jesus, name above all names, Beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word. Turn to 119, Jesus your name, 119. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is might. Jesus, your name will break every stronghold. Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, your name is healing. Jesus, your name gives sight. Jesus, your name will free every captive. Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, your name is holy. Jesus, your name brings light. Jesus, your name above every other. 
Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is might. Jesus, your name will break every stronghold. Jesus, your name is life. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. His name for us is life because through his sacrifice for sins, we find life, we find acceptance, we find a father, we find your dwelling with the spirit in our midst. We thank you for providing so great a salvation through so great a Savior as Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray that today as we gather together, that your name would be honored, that Jesus Christ would be exalted, and we would enjoy the fellowship of your Spirit, which you have freely given to all who call upon your name. Please bless our time together today in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Our call to worship this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Paul says, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles, that is, of the nations, uh, not of Israel, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who made both groups, that is Jews and Gentiles, into one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man or one new humanity from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both Jews and Gentiles to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and, pre and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, that is Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that is Israel. For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Many of us have seen the movie that has become a Christmas holiday tradition in many American homes. A Christmas story. Simply titled, A Christmas Story presents the viewer with young Ralph Parker's quest to obtain the greatest Christmas present a boy could ever hope for. An official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. With a compass in the stock, of course. Though Ralph had reached the age where he had become, for all intents and purposes, 
an unbeliever for 11 months out of the year. Nevertheless, with Christmas just around the corner and his mother having already effectively shut down any debate on the issue of whether a BB gun was a safe and appropriate toy for a child to have, Ralph decides that he should lay aside his intellectual skepticism and visit the department store Santa Claus after all. If you remember the scene, you'll recall that there was an enormous line that Ralph and his younger brother had to stand in to get their opportunity to see the big man himself, who sat upon a throne high at the top of a tall set of stairs. After waiting for what must have been hours and enduring the irritations that had been aroused in him by other pilgrims on their pilgrimage, it was finally Ralph's turn. He ascended the stairs to the top, where he was handled brusquely by elf assistants who pushed him, pulled him, spun him around, hoisted him up into the air, and plopped him down abruptly upon Santa's lap. And now came the ritual questions. Have you been a good little boy? What do you want for Christmas? And Ralph was speechless. The trauma of the approach to the throne of Santa had wiped his mind. How about a nice... Football. Yeah, yeah, football. Ralph nodded his head in dazed confusion. All right, get him out of here. And with that, an elf hoisted Ralph off of Santa's lap and sent him down a large sliding board. But suddenly, Ralph's mind overcame its stupor, and the boy dug his heels into the side of the slide, and with great effort, he clawed his way back to the very top where he poured out his request at Santa's feet. I want an official Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. And Santa plants his big black boot on Ralph's head and gives him a shove back down the slide. Those who have seen it can laugh at the memory. But consider the efforts that were required to draw near to Santa. There was, of course, the long line, ropes, rules, the long climb up, and the somewhat abusive treatment at the hands of assistants who would have rather been somewhere else. There was the ritual question asking, all of these things, just to sit on a stranger's lap and make your petition for what you wanted for Christmas. Before Jesus Christ's death upon the cross, and resurrection from the dead, drawing near to God was quite the ordeal as well. The way a person could draw near to God was to enter into the covenant or the arrangement that God had made with the people of Israel. Nobody else on earth had this arrangement. Now someone might ask, why is an arrangement necessary in the first place? We shouldn't think it strange or unusual that there should be arrangements for meetings. For example, if you were to want to meet with the principal or superintendent of the school district or perhaps the township supervisor, you would most likely have to call the secretary, schedule an appointment to meet the official at his or her office at such and such a time. And when you showed up, you would conduct yourself in a way that would be more formal than it would be if you were just chilling out at home with your family or friends. How much more so it would be if we were to be meeting the President of the United States. 
there would be many rules and security checks that would be conducted before we could be conducted into the presence of the chief executive. And once in his presence, well, we'd have to be very careful to follow an expected decorum. So you see, it's really not an unusual thing to expect that there will be the need for an arrangement if we are to meet a dignitary. How much more then? if a person is to draw near to the living God. Especially in light of the fact that he is holy and his eyes are so pure that he cannot even look upon sin. The fact that he would even deign to meet with us and allow us to approach him in the first place is simply mind-blowing considering the depths of our personal and collective sin. That ever-present fact of his holiness and separation from sin is the very thing that necessitates some sort of arrangement. How? How will fallen creatures approach and draw near to a pure and holy God? An arrangement will be needed. The Lord graciously provided an arrangement to a nation of people that he entered into a covenant with long ago. God provided the nation of Israel with an arrangement whereby they could worship him and appropriately draw near to him. This arrangement involved a number of elements. There would need to be a meeting place. Originally, it was a portable tent structure called the tabernacle, the tabernacle had three main parts. It had a large courtyard that was fenced off from the rest of the Israelite encampment by a large perimeter curtain that contained the structure of the tabernacle itself within, as well as places where the priests could wash, prepare, and offer animal sacrifices upon an altar. Now within the tent itself, the tabernacle itself, there were two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. The holy place was open only to the Levitical priests who were descended from Aaron. There they maintained an oil-burning lampstand, a table with fresh-baked bread, baked daily, and an altar upon which incense was kept burning. Now the inner room, the most holy place, was separated by a very thick curtain. It was admissible only to the high priest on the Day of Atonement, and it contained the Ark of the Covenant, the Mercy Seat, and the overspreading cherubim. There the glory of the Lord's presence dwelt. Now after many years, the tabernacle was replaced with a permanent structure of stone and wood called the Temple of the Lord. But the basic arrangement was the same. The first temple was built by Israel's third king, David's son Solomon. It was completely destroyed by the Babylonians in the year 586 B.C. That's 586 years before Christ. A second, somewhat smaller version of the original temple was erected by the Jewish remnant that returned from captivity about two generations later. It stood roughly until the time of Christ when in the years leading up to Jesus' birth, the king of Judea, Herod the Great, uh, you'll remember him as the evil ruler that attempted kill the infant Jesus? Herod the Great launched an ambitious renovation project with the goal of enlarging and beautifying the temple and its grounds. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry here, this building project was in its 46th year. 
That's a long time to be building something, right? Some of my building projects are approaching that. Not quite that long, but they're getting there. Um, but 46 years it was in the building, and it still wasn't done. During the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, when Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, the disciples were excitedly pointing out the various buildings of this world wonder temple complex that was nearing its completion. Jesus responded by saying that not one stone of it would be left standing. It would all be torn down and utterly destroyed within one generation. It was almost unthinkable. But Jesus' prophecy came true. Herod's temple was completely destroyed along with the rest of the city of Jerusalem in the year A.D. 70, roughly 40 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This happened during the end of Judea's violent war with Rome, which was in fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. Okay, so much for the whirlwind history lesson. That's all for that this week. The point we're going to take away is there was an arrangement whereby people could draw somewhat near to the living God. There was an arrangement with one people, Israel, centered on one place, the temple in Jerusalem, that used mediators, go-betweens, called priests who were from one tribe, the tribe of Levi, descended from one ancestor, Aaron, the brother of Moses, to offer meticulously prescribed animal sacrifices, food offerings, drink offerings, in conjunction with the observance of washings, holy days, and various rituals. All of this so that Israelites in covenant with the Lord could draw near, we ought to put the word near in air quotes, draw near to the living God through the proxy agency of these priests, sacrifices, and rituals. And does that sound like a lot? It was a lot. It was a lot to keep track of. Hundreds of commandments that prescribed exactly how everything had to be done so that a person could worship the true and living God. Inside your bulletins, you'll find not only our scriptures that we'll be turning to this week, but you will also find a small diagram. Now, it did not reproduce as nicely as I would have liked it to. You might have to squint to make out details on it. But this diagram shows us the basic layout of that last temple, the Temple of Herod, that was existing in the days of the apostles. The picture shows us the entire temple complex as well as its courtyards. On the left, we can see the temple building itself with its two rooms, the holy place and the most holy. Immediately surrounding the building is the court of the priests. Only the priests could go there. That's where they did the work of offering sacrifices upon an altar. To the far left of the diagram, we see the court of Israel. This is where the ceremonially clean Israelite men could assemble for worship. Already we're seeing that some could draw near while others, the priests, could draw nearer. But this was all part of the arrangement. Only the priests could serve within the confines of the temple itself. But we're about to see that there were more distinctions that were made. To the far right of the diagram is the court of the women, or sometimes called the treasury. This was the only place in the temple complex where ceremonially clean Israelite women were allowed to assemble for worship, slightly farther away. 
It was there that Jesus observed the poor widow putting her two mites into the collection bin. It was also likely that the blind or lame, as well as those who were not free but were slaves, were restricted to this court as well. So it wasn't just for women. There were men who would have been assembled there too, men who were not ceremonially clean, they couldn't go into the court of Israel, or men who were lame or blind or slaves. They would have to stay in the court of women too. You'll note that there's a large wall between the court of women and the court of the priests and of Israel. This middle wall of division made it impossible for the worshipers who were in the court of women to see anything that was going on with the sacrifices that were being offered on the other side of the wall. They were completely shut out from what was actually happening. You'll note that each of these courts are within a large sacred enclosure of the temple grounds. Only ceremonially clean Israelites were permitted within the enclosure. But there were others who came to worship the living God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There were Gentiles too. There were God-fearers. Those who, though not Israelite by birth, nonetheless worshiped the God of Israel. But these Gentiles were restricted to the outer court of the Gentiles, outside of that sacred enclosure. It was forbidden upon penalty of death for any non-Israelite to go within the sacred enclosure. It was in the court of the Gentiles that foreigners and ceremonially unclean Israelites could meet for worship, buying and selling animals, and exchanging money for the temple coin which was required by the religious authorities. It was also in this court of the Gentiles that Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers, not on one, but on two occasions, saying that his father's house was intended to be a house of prayer for peoples of all the nations, not a den of thieves. What's the point of our study of this diagram? There was an arrangement whereby people could draw near to the living God, to worship the God of Israel, but it was a restrictive and prohibitive arrangement by design. Furthermore, it was made to be even more prohibitive and restrictive through the measures that the religious leaders imposed upon the worshipers. The way they had it set up, some could draw near, but others could draw nearer based upon ethnicity, class, and gender. At this point, let's turn to our scriptures, which are printed for you in the bulletin. On the left-hand page, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. We read this in our call to worship, but there's so much in here. We want to look at it again. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, Paul speaking to Gentile believers. He says, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles. You were of the nations of humanity. You weren't Jews. You weren't Israelites. You were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, that is the Jews, circumcision which is done in the flesh by human hands, as opposed to the circumcision that the new covenant, the new arrangement calls for, which is an inward spiritual circumcision of the heart, of which the former was just a sign of the latter, a symbol for. Anyway, bunny trail. At that time, you were without Christ, 
You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were outsiders. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. You think it was hard to draw near to the living God under the old arrangement? Try having no arrangement at all. It was impossible. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, Gentiles, who were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Christ is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Remember that middle wall that separated the worshipers who could draw near from those who could not? Yes, Paul says, Jesus Christ tore that wall down. Now, of course, we're not talking about actual walls made of stone. We're talking about metaphorical walls. But the new covenant, which is a spiritual arrangement that God has made with all humanity through Jesus Christ, it eliminates that wall that separates people. Paul continues, In Christ's flesh, He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both groups, both Jews and Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Both Jews and Gentiles. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away. That's Gentiles, obviously. And peace to those who were near, meaning, of course, Jews. For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles alike, have access in one spirit. There's not two different spirits of God, one for the Jew and one for the Gentile. No, one spirit of God. We have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. No, you are fellow citizens with the saints. And even closer than that, you're not just citizens. You're members of God's household your family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also, Jewish and Gentile believers, both in one body, are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. God, through Jesus Christ, built Himself a house made of living stones, comprised of believers, those who have trusted upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the temple of the living God. One body, no distinctions. This passage which we read earlier in our call to worship and have now read once more, teaches us that through Jesus Christ's once for all sacrifice for sin, by which He made a new arrangement for us, so that we can draw near, very near, to God through faith in Jesus, there are no distinctions based upon race and ethnicity. Being born Jewish doesn't get you any closer. Being born any other nationality doesn't put you any farther out. In Christ Jesus, in His body, the church, all, regardless of their ancestry, can draw near to God. How near? Very near. To draw near to the President of the United States, well, number one, you have to be invited. You have to arrive at the appointed time and jump through all of the security hoops successfully. But even then, you'll be kept at 
an arm's length distance. But the children of the president can just approach the president because they're on different terms. They're on family terms. And that's the point of the new arrangement. Through faith in Christ, we are counted sons and daughters of the living God. And we draw near, as near as any son or daughter might draw near to their father. Paul, in this passage, emphasized that in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, these are all synonyms, they all mean the same thing. The worshipers are not separated based upon ethnicity. Those who in former times were far off were now given the ability to draw near, and that dividing wall was taken away. But I want to take a moment to emphasize that there was another barrier which Jesus' sacrificial death removed. Matthew's gospel, as well as Mark's, tells us about what happened at the very moment of Jesus' death upon the cross. Matthew 27, 50 and 51. Matthew 27, 50 and 51. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up His Spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary, that is the most holy place, was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The curtain of the sanctuary, that is the curtain that separated the most holy place, the innermost room of the temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain was estimated to have been 60 feet in height and 4 inches thick. The physical barrier that kept all but the high priest from entering into the place where God's presence dwelt, this symbol of the separation that existed between God and mankind had been removed. Jesus' sacrificial death had opened the way to draw near to the very presence of the living God. Turn now to our remaining scriptures. They're in your bulletin on the right-hand page. Colossians 3.11 and Galatians 3.26-29. We'll read these as, as, as one passage and consider them together. Paul again is writing in both of these. He says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male and female since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. Both of these passages begin by emphasizing the same thing that we saw in the Ephesians passage. In Christ, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Ethnicity is not a basis for discrimination in the kingdom of God. Greek or Jew, there is no difference. Circumcised according to the old arrangement or not, it doesn't matter. Barbarian, this refers to peoples who did not speak either Greek or Latin, which was the intellectual's language of the day. If you didn't speak Greek or Latin, you were considered to be a barbarian. You spoke a different language. Scythian. These were the tribal peoples of the northeastern parts of Europe who were regarded by everyone else as just wild, crazy, uncivilized people. 
Paul is effectively stating that the gospel invitation to draw near to God through faith in Jesus is open to all people, regardless of their ethnicity, from the most pious Jew in Jerusalem to the highest educated statesman living in Rome to the uneducated commoner living in the backwater village to the primitive person deep in the darkest jungle. All may draw near in Christ. But we want to notice that these two passages go even further than addressing the irrelevance of ethnicity. Paul also mentions slave or free. In other words, social status has no effect upon the call of the gospel to draw near to God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no disability, whether it's an economic disability, a social disability, or a physical handicap that restricts or hinders the ability to draw near to God through faith in Jesus. Conversely, there is no advantage, economic, social, or physical, that has the ability to let one draw nearer than another. You remember that court of the women, that was where the disabled, the blind, the lame, or the slaves had to assemble. That was gone. But we want to go even further. We notice in the Galatians passage that Paul has included one more descriptor in the list. He said, there is no Jew or Greek, no ethnicity. There is no slave or free, no social status distinctions. There is no male and female. Now he adds gender to the list. Being male or female does not bring you nearer nor keep you further from drawing near to God. Both together, male and female, reflect the image of God who made humankind in His own image. Male and female, He made them. Now there might be another sermon to be preached here, but it's not going to be preached today. We let the Word of God speak for itself. Male and female, He made them. Being male or female does not allow you to draw nearer or keep you further away. In Christ, there is no difference. Both participate within the same body of Christ. Both draw near to God through faith in Christ. The difference in genders does not make a difference in standing any more than the differences in social status or ethnicity do. In Christ, all draw near to God on equal terms. Remember our diagram of the temple? The court of the Gentiles outside of the sacred enclosure. In Christ, it's dissolved. The nations may enter in. The court of women, as well as the ceremonially unclean, disabled, and slaves, in Christ, it's removed. There is no more middle wall to divide the worshipers who can draw near from the worshipers who can't. Because in Christ, all can. Even the court of Israel were free ceremonially clean Israelite men could assemble, had had its restrictions. They could not enter into the spaces reserved for the priests and Levites, and they certainly could not enter into the temple itself. But even that was changed in Christ, because in Christ, we have become the temple of the living God that is being built together for a dwelling place for God's Spirit. And of course, even the place where only one, the high priest, could enter, that most holy place, and that on but one day of the year and only with the appropriate sacrifices, 
It was opened up symbolically through the tearing of the great curtain from top to bottom at the death of the Lord Jesus, who by his sufficient and everlasting once-for-all sacrifice opened up a new and living way whereby all Jew and Gentile, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, city and slave and free, male and female, may enter in and draw near to the living God as sons and daughters. Draw near to the living God who was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting our sins against us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ, in whom we are being built together as a living temple wherein God dwells with his people in the midst of his people by his spirit. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. He has a house that he has built, and he continues building it. He continues adding on to it. Are you a living stone? Have you been added on to the structure of God's temple? I hope that you have. I hope that you have joined yourself to the people of God, joined yourself to the temple of the living God, and that God's Spirit dwells within you. Ethnicity, social status, Gender, do not count for anything and do not count against anyone in the kingdom of God where we all stand upon the same level ground. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ who redeemed us from our sins. May his name be ever praised. Let us pray. Our Father, we give you thanks. The universe itself is not big enough to contain you. And yet you have chosen by your choice, by your design, to make your dwelling in the midst of your people in a living temple comprised of living stones whereby your spirit you dwell in the midst of those who have been redeemed through faith in the Savior you've provided, Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is nothing that can cause one of us to draw nearer than another. Not race and ethnicity, not social standing and status, not being male nor female. All of these distinctions disappear in the ability to draw near to the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you have done with your temple. We thank you for the Savior who has built it. We thank you for the new arrangement whereby we can draw near, oh, very near. We have family status. Thanks to Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. With thanksgiving, we are to be living sanctuary for the God of all creation, the Lord of the universe, the King, the living God, with thanksgiving every day as you put your feet on the floor when you rise from bed. Thanksgiving for what he has made us to be together in Christ. Now, may the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit that he has freely given to all who call upon his name, he dwells in our midst we as living stones in the temple of God be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen.
Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.